Well, good morning. And as you can see, I'm speaking to you from a bit of a strange place today. I'm speaking to you from a father's garage. And uh, I've been spending sort of half my time at my parents' home lately because my mother had a fall and broke both her arms. So big thank you to all of you who've prayed for her. She's really going from strength to strength. But I love this old garage because it's full of all sorts of mysterious equipment uh, that my father used for 50 years in veterinary practice, you know, all his old uh, veterinary workmanship. And uh, in doing all that, you know, he prepared a life for me to follow in. And I even use some of this old equipment myself as well. Now, there's a scripture in Ephesians that speaks about what the Apostle Paul called God's workmanship, preparing a life for us. Let me read it to you. It's actually from Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, I remember speaking on that passage just over one year ago, back in January 2020. And in fact, it was the basis for my New Year message. And I had, that morning, I remember, successfully resisted the temptation to speak on 2020 vision. <laughs> and I think that's because I knew from my own life that uh, hindsight for me was only 2020 vision I was used to, not foresight. And so for me, the best time to speak about 2020 vision was always going to be looking back from 2021. Now, seriously though, if you were there that morning, you probably remember me uh, speaking these verses and, and, and teaching on them. And I kept using one phrase over and over again from that verse. If you remember, I said, turn to the person beside you and repeat after me, prepared beforehand. Now, here we are just over one year later. And in light of all that's happened to us in 2020, the thought came to me recently that if what I said last January was actually the gospel truth, then nothing that we've been through over this last year should change that message in any way. I should be able to share it again, unchanged entirely from what I said a year ago. And that's because the gospel is eternally true. It's not affected or altered by earthly events because it speaks of a reality, the nature of God that transcends world events, nationalities, cultures, and even time itself. Now, last week I shared with you that I believe the gospel to be more glorious, more powerful, and more wonderful than I presently imagine it to be because it is the revelation of the Heavenly Father. And uh, that Heavenly Father is so good and so generous and so loving that all of my earthly experience of love does not give me the capacity to receive what love really is, according to the Father, really. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I have to grow up, really, into that love to, to be able to even take it in the enormity of it. And the, and the Spirit enables me and you to grow up in that love, in that nature the nature of God, the nature of the Father. So this week, I'm speaking again, really, about how much greater the gospel is than you or I can take in. And in fact, I've just begun by saying something about the gospel that is just beyond my own natural ability to understand. How can the gospel be eternally true? How can it speak of something that transcends even time itself? Now, it does that in the sense that although Christ came into our world, our understanding of time and space 2,000 years ago, the gospel message itself is timeless because it speaks of someone whose life is timeless. 
Christ's life is outside of time. What does that mean? How are we supposed to understand that? You know, my only experience growing up, I remember as a boy, uh, trying to understand a life that surpassed time was perhaps watching Doctor Who on a Saturday night, if I remember, on Children's BBC. If you remember, he was called a Time Lord because he could transport himself back and forth in time. But that was science fiction. I can't understand in my natural intellect alone how the purpose and call of God on our lives transcends our earthly time. How can the scriptures say such strange things, such as Revelation 13:8, where it says that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world? Or what on earth does 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 mean when it says that men and women are saved and called not according to their earthly record, their works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from before the beginning of time. Well, today I'm going to show you that we cannot know what on earth these truths mean unless we know what in heaven they mean. Let me say that in a different way. There are two ways to see this world and your place in it, through men's eyes or through God's eyes. And we have been given the Holy Spirit and the gospel that our eyes would open to see as God sees. Why? Because we've been called and filled with the Spirit that we would speak His words into this realm. And you can't say what God is saying until you first see what God is seeing. And that's why there are two ways to speak the gospel, from God's perspective or from man's. And I don't know about you, but I want to preach the gospel on earth as it is in heaven. Now, those scriptures I read about God's knowledge being beyond our understanding of time, that may sound foolish to our natural understanding, but the gospel does say these marvelous things about an eternal, timeless aspect to our lives when seen from God's perspective. And so that is exactly what the Holy Spirit has given for us to do, to see life from God's perspective. Now, to see your life from God's perspective is not to see life as an individual pursuit, something you do on your own for God. Life from God's perspective is only found in living in union and walking in union with him. That is the life he has prepared for us beforehand. And so when that scripture we began with speaks of us walking in works prepared beforehand, it's simply speaking of anything we do in this life that is empowered and enabled in us by his life, his spirit anything we do in this life together with him. Because living in his life, or to use the picture Paul used with the Romans, living married to him, to Christ, was always the only life he ever saw as living. Because God doesn't see living apart from him as life at all. That's why, although Adam lived for hundreds of years after he'd eaten of the tree of the good and e of the knowledge of good and evil, what we could call the self-effort tree, as God warned him from the moment he ate of that tree, he was living dead to God. So, if life from God's perspective is only found in living, walking in union with him, then do you realize that this means that you and I can come through the worst year of our lives, full of tragedy and challenge and setback, and yet still, from God's perspective, have walked this year in his works prepared beforehand. Because his works were not the tragedy, or the challenge, or the setback. 
but us living through all those things together with him. A life lived hidden with Christ and God right in the midst of all that trouble. Now, this is why irrespective of what happened in 2020 or what will happen in 2021, we can always walk in his works prepared beforehand when we live from our union with him by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And a powerful aspect of that enabling is the gospel we are believing. And that is why, once again this morning, I want to speak to you about this wonderful gospel. You see, the faith, the capacity to live from our union with him comes by hearing this gospel. That's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ, the original version says. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you hearing and so believing about you and him? Is it the unchanging, eternal, timeless gospel? A message that never changes in any year because it points to him who never changes and the sufficiency of his work? Or is it a message that seems to change every week because it is pointing to us and what we need to do? And when you're pointed to yourself, there always seems to be no end to what you need to do. In other words, are you hearing the gospel as good news or good advice? Are you hearing the gospel on earth as it is in heaven? So what I'm saying this morning is that the gospel is a timeless message, a message that transcends culture, nationality, generation, because it speaks of a timeless God who calls us to live and move and have our being in his timeless life. Can you see then that in 2020 or any other year, nothing can change or affect the timeless life of a believer, the life of Christ. So in light of that, let me begin to say again exactly what I said one year ago. This year, to walk more and more in what God has prepared beforehand, the Holy Spirit is going to continue to teach us how to think more from, speak more from, and walk more in this timeless life called in Christ. And to think less from, speak less from, and walk less in a life called in fear. The life called I, myself. In other words, the Holy Spirit is always leading us into the life prepared beforehand. Christ. Now once again, at the beginning of a year, it's natural for us to begin to think ahead of all the things we feel needs to be done. And even to begin to make plans on how those things are going to get done. Although I would suspect that this year we're going to hold on to our plans a little bit lighter than we did last year. And that's not a bad thing at all. As believers, and by the way, every time I say that, anyone hearing this message this morning can find themselves a believer by the end of it. Simply by the power of the word and the spirit. <laughs> that's the confidence I have in this gospel. Salvation is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And it comes by the gospel and the spirit. So, as believers... We have been given God's Spirit, the mind of Christ, not so that we can see what needs to be done, but so we can see something so much greater, what the Lord has prepared beforehand. In fact, we don't really need the Holy Spirit to show us what needs to be done, because most of our lives, we're surrounded by people who can't see anything but what needs to be done. And over the last few months, we've been looking at the reason for that. When we live from our souls, our emotions, when we live by natural vision, then all we tend to see is what we need because we can't see past our lack. Whereas to live from the Spirit is to see beyond what we need 
to see what has already been provided. In other words, to see by the Spirit is to see what has been prepared beforehand. So, to be led by the Holy Spirit is to be led into what has been prepared beforehand. Now listen to Paul's testimony to the Corinthians from 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. He wrote this, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. So, what does the Holy Spirit come to reveal to us? The things that God has prepared. And what does the Holy Spirit want to reveal to us in 2021? The same as in 2020. The things that God has prepared. Let me say that in a different way. If we keep living from our soul, our feelings, then all we can see is what we need. But to live from the Spirit is to see what we already have. All things in Christ. Which is why the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. That's Romans 8 verse 6. It's the difference between living from worry and living from thanksgiving. And increasingly throughout this past year, we have come to see that link, haven't we, between thanksgiving and spiritual vision. We can certainly say that when we see as the Spirit sees, when we see our lives from heaven's perspective, then we cannot help but be filled with the atmosphere of heaven. Acts 9, that story of how uh, a certain disciple called Ananias in Damascus had started to pray to God about a horrible man called Saul of Tarsus who was coming to Damascus to kill him and all the other Christians. And in his soul, Ananias was anxious and fearful. And so that is where he began to pray from, as often we do too, don't we? And so he began his prayer by seeing Saul only with natural vision. But you know, by the time he stopped praying, he was no longer seeing Saul of Tarsus by natural vision. He was seeing by the Spirit. He was seeing what the Spirit could see. And he could see that Saul was, in the words of the Holy Spirit, God's chosen instrument to bear his name, his life, to be a son of God, bearing the life of God to the Gentiles. What he saw was that the life God had prepared beforehand for Saul of Tarsus was something infinitely better than he could see with his natural vision. Now, how did he manage to see that? Because he heard what the Holy Spirit was saying. It is when we truly begin to hear what the Spirit is saying that we begin to see what the Spirit is seeing. For the Holy what he sees, and this is what he sees. He seemed prepared from all from before. You know, much to the shock of eyes, no terrible soul's behavior. He found the Holy Spirit insists to speak of Saul as God's judgment and insists Saul be as judgment because that is how the Spirit sees him. Why is the Holy Spirit and that's all? It's important that someone went to Saul and spoke to him as God's chosen instrument. Why is it so important someone is filled enough with the Holy Spirit to go to this and address him as Brother Saul? God is not to ask them to change themselves, but to reveal them the life prepared beforehand for life in Christ. Worth saying again. God's way of changing men and women is not to ask them to change themselves, but to reveal to them the life prepared beforehand for them, life in Christ. And that's why we never preach the gospel as what you need to do for God. We preach Christ crucified. To some, it is a stumbling block, and to others, foolishness. But to those who are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's 1 Corinthians 1. 23 and 24. You know, in 2,000 years, God's foolish way 
of saving people has not changed. So, but according to Christ's work, and because Christ's work is a finished work, the Holy Spirit speaks to men and women as if they are already complete and perfect in Christ. Now that's why in Colossians 2.10, the Holy Spirit insists on saying to young believers, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. In Him you have been made complete. I bet they didn't look very much complete to themselves or anyone else, but the Holy Spirit insists on saying that. Now you may protest and say, no God, you can't call me holy, for that is not who I am. But actually what you mean is, God, you can't call me holy because that is not what I do. Because by natural earthly vision, men and women can only name themselves by their works, by what they do. But the gospel and the spirit and the metanoia, the total change of mind the gospel brings. You see, God can't name us after our behavior because that's never going to renew our minds. It's never going to equip us to put on the new self, the new life created in the likeness of God, righteous and holy, the life prepared beforehand, the married life, the life of Christ. If God named us by looking at us with natural earthly vision, if he named us simply after what people see, think of what he'd call you. I'm not the first person to ask that question. Listen to the Apostle Paul asked of the Corinthians from 1 Corinthians 1.26. He wrote this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were. When you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, God has prepared a holy life for you and I, but it is not some future life we will live for him. It is the life we live today in him. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In him, you have been made complete. Just as in 2020, in 2021, the greatest things that we will see are not the things we will do for him, but the things that God has prepared beforehand in Christ for us. And that's why, once again, and every year, the most glorious thing that will be seen in this city this year is not what the church will do, but who the church is. The spirit-filled body of Christ. The life prepared beforehand, before the very foundation of the world. And that's why, when filled with the Holy Spirit and his vision, Ananias for the first time sees the Saul of Tarsus that the Father sees. He sees the one prepared beforehand in Christ. Here's another way of saying that. The Holy Spirit is not looking for you and I to achieve what Christ has already achieved. God can call you holy because he doesn't name you after what you have done. He names you after what he has done, after what he has prepared beforehand. For Christ has become for us our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. You see, the Holy Spirit is simply enabling us to live from that holy life, the in Christ life. In the words of Paul to the Corinthians again, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. 
Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. You know, that's 1 Corinthians 1.30. Did you hear that? Christ made you right with God. Christ made you pure and holy. Christ freed you from sin. The Holy Spirit is not looking to you or I to achieve a holiness that has already been gifted to us in Christ, but to receive that holy life by faith. You know, in just reading such things, we can all understand why the Bible says statements like that sound foolish to our natural understanding, because those statements appear to run contrary to our earthly experience. I mean, every person listening to me this morning can probably look back at moments in 2020 and we can hang our heads when we think of our thoughts or actions because they appear to us to be very, very far from pure or holy or freed from sin. Why does Paul insist on using language like that? Insist on describing believers in the Corinthian church as pure and holy and freed from sin when he's actually writing to them to address issues such as sexual immorality among them? You know, if we believe that Paul's epistles are inspired by the Holy Spirit, then we have to ask, why does the Holy Spirit speak to believers who are sinning as if they are pure and holy and freed from sin? It's for the same reason the Lord spoke to sick people as if they were well, and spoke to dead people as if they were alive, and ate with sinners as if they were holy. Because when you see by the Holy Spirit, you see what God has prepared beforehand in Christ, things unseen by this world, his eternal purpose and grace. You see that those things are more real and more powerful than the seen things in this, on this earth, which are passing away. Believer, the Holy Spirit wants you to see something. He wants you to see that God has such confidence in his spirit in you that he can see and speak to you as already perfect in him. Now, you may not have the faith to speak of yourself as he does, but in the words of the Apostle John, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's 1 John 3.1. You know, when my children were born, I did not wait to see how they would turn out before deciding whether to call them my children or not. When my children were born, I did not wait to see how they turned out before deciding whether to call them my children or not. From the moment they were born of me, all that I had was theirs. This is who I saw them to be. But listen very carefully. That may be who I saw them to be, but they would never have grown to be who I saw them to be if I had not insisted on always speaking to them no matter what their behavior, as my children. There was a time when they crawled around on all fours and would have ate off the floor, but I never called them dogs because I never defined them, never named them after their behavior. We insisted on always calling them by the vision we always had for them. Now you may protest and say, God, you can't call me holy for that is not who I am. But what you actually mean is, God, you can't call me holy because that is not what I do. Because by natural earthly vision, men and women can only name themselves by their works. But God can call you holy because unlike everyone else, he doesn't name you after heaven. But of course, you know that already, don't you? His way of removing that fear from your life was always to convince you that he was your loving father. And his way of doing that was always to insist on speaking to you 
as his beloved son, even when there is no evidence in the natural that you deserve such a name. He can call you holy because he doesn't name you after what you have done. He names you after what he has done. But to live in that life, that name, you must accept what he has done. You must accept the life prepared beforehand, the life of Christ, the life together with God. And that ability, oh, this is such good news, that ability to accept, to receive and live in that life, what the Bible calls faith, that comes by hearing the gospel on earth as it is in heaven. For in heaven, the gospel has never been good advice, but since the foundation of the world has been good news because it has never been the news of what you need to do for him, but of what he has done for you. And right now, if your mind is struggling to take this in, but deep down in your heart, you can feel a stirring of joy and hope and peace. That will be the Holy Spirit giving you a gift called faith. For faith comes by hearing the gospel on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you.